You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey guys, hey, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here, and today in the guest chair, I have Erica Davis. Erica is the CEO and founder of The Sip, a lifestyle brand that focuses on the education and discovery of champagne and sparkling wine. The Sip was inspired by her monthly girls' night with best friend and co-founder, Catherine Carter. What served as a way for these collegiate friends to connect now is the fun and easy curated experience thousands of women get to enjoy today. Erica is passionate about changing the way alcohol is marketed to women and advancing visibility and opportunity for Black founders in the wine industry, where less than 1% of winemakers and owners are Black. She puts this passion to practice with the sip, which allows women to explore their palate in a judgment-free zone without breaking the bank. As an Oakland native, Erica also made it her mission through the SIP to give back to the city that gave her so much. Every purchase from the SIP funds access to clean water for women and children in need through the East Oakland Community Project. Erica's philosophy with the SIP is not to find a seat at the table, but rather build her own table and invite those underrepresented in the wine industry to sit and sip. I learned so much in today's interview and I now have a new go-to gift for special occasions. So let's get right into it. Hello, Erica. Welcome, welcome to the Side Hustle Pro guest chair. I'm very excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. So I can't wait to dig into more of your story because, you know, obviously I've just been reading everything I could, listening to you in other interviews. And one thing that um, you briefly mentioned I'd love to know more about is you have exposure to entrepreneurship, right? Your mother and your grandmother. So how mm-hmm. did that exposure influence what you currently do? I think the brilliant thing about representation is it's innate. And so to me, it didn't feel different. Ah. So like a lot of people ask me those questions and it was just natural to me, like just as Mm -hmm. it is going graduated from eighth grade, you go to high school, then you go to college. To me, it was always a matter of like, okay, well, what business am I going to start? You know, at some point, like I'm pretty sure that every single one of my siblings, we all Uh have a a business. Oh, wow. Um, So, and whether it's our main business or a side hustle, if you will, like we all own a piece of something that we, that's just ours. Um, And so for me, my grandmother was what we like to call a real estate tycoon. She wasn't a real estate agent. She owned a ton of property. So she had the wonderful idea in, I don't even know the years, but like let's just say back in the day, uh, <laughs> a lot of real estate in Oakland and in West Oakland, oh, which is like wow. one of the places right now. It's really, really close. It's five minutes away from San Francisco. Oh, and I know so, Oakland. Yeah, we know Oakland. Oakland. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm really amazed by that because I know that that is such a booming place now. And like to own multiple properties there, like uh-huh. that is amazing. As a single black woman. Mm. So she started with her own laundry service and then she started slowly building or purchasing homes one by one. And so when I was born, I grew up in a house. My mother owned her house. My next door was my grandmother's house. Next door to that was my aunt. And around the corner was my aunt, my aunt, my uncle. And my grandmother had purchased 
all of those homes for her children and then sold it to them. And so we all grew up home ownership. That is awesome. What? Yeah, she was a, that lady was a legacy. I mean, yeah. she was a I need to have her on the show next. <laughs> well, she passed away in 2000. Oh, grandma. Um, in six. So, yes. But she is God amazing. Her soul. Yes. Yeah. The legacy lives on through you. So now you have started the sit, but before that you worked in corporate America, you yeah. have varied experiences. So I'm curious, you know, what led you down that particular career path and how did that influence you eventually starting your own business? I basically I majored in business and after school, I knew after college, I knew I wanted to go into it, but I got into a rotational program called um, RMP, which is GAPS rotational program. Okay. And you really learn a lot about every aspect of merchandising. So whether it's product development, planning, logistics, or actual merchandising of a product. Yeah. And so I did that for a while. And just like a lot of millennials, I feel like we decided that corporate America wasn't for us because we need that almost immediate gratification in terms of like making things happen. Right. And so honestly, I was tired of having meetings about meetings and wanted to like make an impact right away. And so I got recruited by a company called Darby Smart, which it was at the time a mission driven startup that really monetized the ideas around influencers. And so that was oh. the first touch of tech that I got. And it was ran by a woman, which was also amazing for me. And a part of that initial conversation was, hey, I want to own my own business. I think it's mm -hmm. awesome that you own yours. Um, I want to be here and I want to learn as much as possible. So mm -hmm. I was really put in an area to work with every single team. So I worked really, really closely with the engineering team, marketing, um, just to understand the intricacies of how they affect the bottom line. Yeah. Um, and then I worked directly underhand, under the CEO for all five years. I stayed on for the transition. Um, we were acquired in 2019 and I started the SIP right after. And so my love for tech and my love for champagne is <laughs> um, kind of how it blended. I, I spent yes. the five years thinking about well, I, I spent the first two years really understanding the business and the bottom line right. and how things okay. got done, what teams and how they impacted. And truly, like, when you get funds, where do you utilize those funds and how to make those decisions? And mm -hmm. then I spent, I think, the next year thinking about ideas, and I spent the last year formulating the SIP so I could get it to launch. Yeah, I I was listening to you talk about you started to build up the SIP or at least start to like flesh it out during your maternity leave. Is that true? <laughs> Sadly, it is true. So I <laughs> why weren't you sleeping? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I have an amazing family and an amazing husband, I will say. Yes. But I'm yes. also I think I am just like a crazy person and I always have to be doing 50 million things. Yeah. So to literally be sitting there on maternity leave and only having my body as a food source for my child and nothing yes. to stimulate my mind was driving me nuts. I've heard that. I've definitely heard that. You're not you're not alone in that at all. <laughs> it was just it was like I I didn't want to just watch TV, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to constantly be like figuring out how I can make an impact. I mean, I was off for like five months, which to me, that's the longest I've never worked. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. Having a newborn is work. 
Yes, yes. It is a lot, a lot of work. But they sleep a lot as well. So I get it. I do. Now, has you had an interest in doing something around sparkling wine before that? Like, tell us about your history with champagne and when did you really start loving it enough, you know, to say, hey, I want to start a business around this. It is my love language with my mom. Ah. Um, And I feel like every girl... Or I imagine that every woman, when you come to this age where you click with your mom on something that doesn't just have to deal with her being your mom. And for us, it's around champagne. I know it sounds weird because it's an alcohol, but it was more or less like learning about champagne, going to wineries, like having our girls time, connecting, telling her about my life. And like, it was just a bonding moment. So on my 23rd birthday, my mom took me and my best friend, who is my co-founder, and a couple of my other friends to Shandon, which is mm-hmm. in Napa. Yes. And before that, I kind of drank it just because it was like <laughs> her thing there. with me. Yeah, it yeah. felt old school for me. It didn't feel like it was for me, right? Really? Like was that? The brands didn't speak to me. I mean, I just felt like they didn't update their marketing. They didn't talk about it the way that we talk. Um, I felt like I had to learn this whole new language just to be understand like how it was created. It just wasn't geared towards and uh, specifically as a black woman too, walking in the room being the only one i'm used to it but it's not always like the vibe you want you want some diversity everywhere you go and so when we went to shandon we weren't the only ones it was a really cool vibe i mean it was super modern when we talked to the sommeliers they actually spoke to us in our language we didn't feel out of place okay as a 23-year-old walking into a space around sparkling wine, I think that that speaks to a lot about the brand. And honestly, me and my best friend, we subscribed right then and there. And that's oh. when that really started. And so that's when our girls' night started. We would get the box, and then we divvy out the box throughout the month, you know, <laughs> every month. And we would just connect, kiki, laugh, and watch Real Housewives, because that's still what we do to this day. So, so you would get a subscription box. Of mm-hmm. wine, of the sparkling wine. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then now, when did you say, hey, we could make this a business? I think so. Working at Darby Smart, right? I, one of the big things I managed was a subscription. So I knew mm-hmm. I always wanted to do a subscription because one, I love to merchandise, I love to curate experiences. And that's honestly the best part about subscriptions is getting this thoughtful, um, curated box of things that you might love. And so, we went through, girl, we had like a nail idea. And that <laughs> we, we we were ahead of like the curve. We wanted to do like fake nails, but neither one of us like really cared about it. Like, it was like uh, yeah, oh, yeah. On it's not a passion. Um, but I and think that's, that was that's I- a that's an interesting point, too, because you there are a lot of good ideas. You guys, mm-hmm. we all have them. But are we going to be passionate enough to see it through? Because you have to love this. You have to be having nail samples come in and are like, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and if you don't, exactly. then you have to pivot. So you went back to what you truly are interested in. Yeah. And I had to add to the conversation. Right. Like right. I couldn't find for me a, a, a issue, a problem mm. with nails, but with sparkling wine and champagne like i found that there was a big gap and a big area and so much opportunity and space that people just weren't thinking about and um, what was that sparkling wine is incredibly expensive and i think when you think about a lot of different alcohols your first conversation is always with your friends or yes. you're tasting and you're trying things and with sparkling wine it became a very expensive habit for Catherine and I, I think. Okay. And so we started saying like, I wish I could just taste it, mm-hmm. or take a sip 
before I bought this 90 or $150 bottle, which right. sometimes I loved and sometimes I didn't like. Yeah. And then it was also around access. Like we could get all of the ones that were domestic or just well-known at BevMo. But like, what about those small grower batch brands? What about Black-owned brands? What about Latino-owned brands? What about women-owned brands? There was nothing in the aisles that told you about that. And then even when you got the wines, it was like, okay, I love this one and I love this one, but what's the connection? How do I keep making good decisions? And how do I keep putting my money towards things that I'll actually enjoy versus Mm -hmm. kind of the guessing game and wasting a ton of money? And so that's what the sip really does is allows you to taste it at a smaller quantity. And if you love it, buy that full size bottle. And then we also talk to you about your flavor palette. So give you options and recommendations that fold within that palette that you actually enjoy. So would you say this is for the champagne and sparkling wine enthusiasts or are you also finding people who are novices who want that confidence to talk and speak the language? Are they also part of your target customer profiles? I'd say it's for both. I think when we think about the SIP and what the SIP really is, it's really a discovery platform for all things champagne and sparkling wine. And so we think that conversation really starts with gifting, right? Uh It's about celebrating and elevating your everyday. So whether that's you gifting to yourself with the subscription box, and that's for discovering new cavas and uh, Proseccos and champagnes and black owned, or whether it's you're gifting to your friends and your families with our one-time curated boxes or yes. full-size bottles for people who know what they like yes. and that's what they want um, or accessories just to make the night fun. So we've got a little bit of everything for everyone. I love that, you know, and as you're speaking, I'm like, this is going to be my gift <laughs> this holiday season. <laughs> this is it. So when you give someone, they can then decide if they want to become a subscriber. Is that how it works? Like you don't have to give them a full subscription, right? So there's a couple of ways to gift. Um, okay. You can gift a subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a direct subscription gift card, and then they would have to redeem it. Or you yep. can gift one of our curated boxes or uh, full size box. You, you actually, I mean, you can gift anything, but yeah, yeah. Our curated boxes is what we really recommend for gifting, and people use it for holidays, for like the yep. holiday season is coming, but also bachelorettes and bridal showers. Yes, yes. Bridal gifts are really big, birthdays, anniversaries, Valentine's, like pretty much if there's a holiday. Right champagne is there right it's all yep. about celebration yes, um that's one of my favorite that, celebratory gifts like a bottle of champagne absolutely and you can put a special note card for everyone so they know who it comes from so it's it's right. super easy it's it's really quick and easy and i think it's like one of the we get people telling us all the time it's like one of their most impressive gifts and the best part is not it's not overly expensive too our boxes run from 50.95 all the way to 120. touch on the subscription piece again so we'll come back to that but I want to know how you actually get this off the ground Um, I'm particularly interested because I know you launched in January 2020 (laughs) Mm -hmm. so tell us how that startup process was for you how did you get it off the ground yeah I think we were super I'm not gonna lie it was super beneficial I tell anybody this right now if you want to start a startup you need to work at one first 
I think that I've learned so much around the logistics. I mean, I essentially helped someone build a business for five years. So Mm -hmm. we had a good starting point. Alcohol is a little different than what I did before. So for us, it was more about figuring out what are the fundamentals that you need to do, the Mm -hmm. website, right? How are people going to purchase from you? Um, How are you going to get it to people? What are the licenses? What are the permits? Um, And have a clear vision for your product. But also with that clear vision, one of the things I will tell people the most is be okay to pivot because your solution might not be the solution that your customers actually really want. And that's okay. That's actually the best part of being able to talk to your customers. So when we started the SIP, we only thought it was going to be a subscription service. That's it. Okay. And it was going to be monthly. She told us, actually, I want it every other month and I want to be able (laughs) to buy a box whenever I want to be able to buy it and full-size bottles. And, oh, yeah, those accessories you put in that box, please add that to the shop so I can buy that too when I want to. Um, And that's amazing. But that for us was, it was really about getting the foundation down and the logistics down. And then also not waiting till it was perfect. An MVP is perfectly fine to launch with. People will tell you what they hate about your website, (laughs) what they love. And so that's the thing is like, when you're an entrepreneur, you want everything to be perfect, but it's never going to be perfect ever. It's never going to be perfect. And that's the beauty of tech is that it's always innovating. And so just go with the flow. I love that you said that. And do you ever find though that, you know, sometimes your customers might say, hey, I want this and this and this. And then I mean, if you try to satisfy every single need, then it's like you might have inventory of a whole bunch of, you know, tiaras. And it's like, (laughs) is that really going to help you having like all this excess inventory? Yeah, we get tons and tons of requests for things. And I think for me, it's more or less like thinking about what the request really is about and Mm -hmm. not necessarily the thing. Like, what are they trying to solve? And I feel like as long as you have the core solutions to the problem that you think Mm-hmm. people will be okay with it. Because yeah. you can't put everything on the website. You just can't. No. no. And if it goes against your core solution, you also just can't offer it. And that's okay too. Like you will not be for everyone, right? Yeah. And that's why we live in a, a democracy, a capital. Like there's no monopoly on things. There's always yeah. a different business for someone else and that's okay. And it that's might not be you for you. Exactly. So I understand you had like a six month planning phase. So even though you launched in 2020, you leading Mm -hmm. up to it, were working on finding your suppliers and figuring out, I'm sure, packaging and all of that. How did Mm -hmm. you ultimately determine like your system for suppliers? Yeah. So Catherine's business or her side. So we are the perfect marriage. And I always tell people Mm -hmm. this too, like I'm very methodical. I am the mathematician on the business, like the business side, but, and she's logistics, but she also had, well, I had the merchandising side. Her family was in alcohol. So she already knew all the distributors, right. And different things like that. So for us, the first step was figuring out like, okay, what are, what are our first six months of our boxes going to look like? Because that's going to determine which distributors we need to actually highlight or what are their inventory levels or what are their offerings. And then once you figure out that, then it was the packaging because the packaging has to match back in size components to the product. So it's figuring out the product first, the merchandising first, and then backing into everything else Mm -hmm. to make sure we logistically could have it. And then figuring out when we could get it in hand to start the marketing, right? Because you don't want to start marketing product and talking to people about the physical product if you don't even know when you can get it in customers' hands. Yes. 
Did I answer the question? No, you did. That That's right. very helpful because, you know, it's funny because in podcasting, like I always share with my students about how you have to map out your future episodes. Even if you haven't reached out to guests or anything, you have to know what you want your podcast to, to look like so you can plan out who you're going to reach out to all this stuff. But with you, you're talking about the fact that a lot of times we want to launch and we're so excited. And then you might not even be able to get that product. Then you need different size boxes like that. Even consider that. So are you using the same supplier for the boxes? It's just they're able to give you different ones depending on what the bottles are that month. Yeah. So we have a very, um, our product doesn't change that much in size. I mean, it's right, because it's the sample. Well, we have what they call splits, which are the 187s. And then we uh -huh. also have 375s, which are half bottles, which both Got come it. in our subscription. And then okay. we also sell um, the full size bottles of everything because it's discovery from end to end. Uh -huh. And then we have accessories, but okay. accessories fit. So it's also about like, it's a little geometry. Like I tell people like all that <laughs> you were going to use, you use it for packaging and tech. So uh. when I curate boxes or I curate products, like it was mapped out. We won't take anything too big, too small now, but mm -hmm. we use the same exact box distributor or vendor that we used in our first box. We've just got more custom sizes. Okay. And then we map based off of like best sales. And so that's where the merchandising and the planning skills come in. It's like you're analyzing your, your sales, right? So once mm -hmm. people are purchasing, you're starting to look for trends and then you yes. optimize for those trends and understanding there's always going to be outliers. But if you optimize for the core trends, you'll be okay with like your, your packaging. So when you planned out, did you have all that inventory on hand before like the supplier chain issues started happening or how did 2020 impact your actual business operations? Yeah. Everybody asks this. I don't know how to have a business that's not in the pandemic. So I <laughs> really uh, help, but I will say the beauty yeah. of alcohol is we live in California. We're really close mm -hmm. to our distributors. So we don't keep a lot Ooh, of product. On that's right? so subscription yeah. We can purchase to order. Uh -huh. So we don't actually have to like forecast that far out. Like I mm -hmm. might have to forecast out five days. Yeah. We check That's the inventory awesome. with the yeah. distributors, but as long as they've yeah. got it on hand, we're good to go. Right. So you're saying because people are on subscription, you know how many boxes you need in advance. And so you're able to fulfill those orders without having to keep all this inventory on hand in advance. Okay. Yes. And that's the beauty of subscription. And I will yeah. tell people from a business perspective, it is this constant, it is having people on auto renew that mm -hmm. you know that you have customers and you don't have to work. I mean, it's hard to get subscribers. So like yes. marketing just impacted and becomes a big piece. But once mm -hmm. you have them and you treat them right, they stay with you. There's a benefit. There's a mutual benefit for that relationship. And one of those is not having to always forecast so far out yeah. and not having to have a ton of inventory on hand, which cost, right? Mm -hmm. so you have to move that inventory. So yep. once I go past that subscription month, I don't really have anything to do with that inventory. Mm -hmm. That's a loss. And that's exactly what I was going to ask you. So I'm so glad you brought it up because I know everyone loves the subscription model, like, you know, gyms mm -hmm. and all those auto renew kind of industries because of the fact that it takes people a while to cancel too, you know, mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So you're able to benefit from that revenue wise, but then also predicting and forecasting, which I didn't even know about or think about. That's really mm -hmm. important that you brought that up as well. So um, that was very very, very educational.
So now let's talk a little bit more about the marketing piece, which you brought up. Um, mm-hmm. I know you when you launched with just a wait list, right? Like that filled mm-hmm. up really fast. Were you surprised at how many people filled up your waiting list? No, we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually super excited. So what did we, you do to, to get that many signups? Yeah. So we we were like, listen, what are all the free things that we can do to not spend a dime right now? <laughs> um, and I am frugal on frugal when it comes like I don't want to have to spend money that is unnecessary when it comes to marketing mm-hmm. because I feel like organic growth is the best growth. And Uh so, and it's not because I'm just, I'm cheap or anything, but it's just like when people naturally like your product or you can get people to do word of mouth, it's so sticky. It's so much better. So we did Instagram, Facebook, and we did a ton of videos. We did a countdown. We, we, well, one, we did a splash page. So that's super important. And you can get those for free and you're just collecting emails. Right. And Mm -hmm. this is people are thinking like, oh, well, it's just, and it's it's so low bar for people, right? Like, oh, I'll give you my email to tell me when you launch. Yeah. Um, and so it's amazing. And so we got, I think we had over a thousand emails before we launched. That's and amazing. People super interested, which is also, if you're starting a business, very, very, very great and insightful data to understand that a thousand people are, they might not all pay, they are all mm-hmm. interested in what you are selling. And yes. that tells you that you're onto something. So even if they didn't all purchase, it was a great trigger for us. But that's essentially what we did. And I think we ran one ad on Instagram mm-hmm. that just like showed the box, show what we were doing. It was like our sample box. We'd reached out to a friend who was a videographer. My first website was created by another friend. Like our marketing person was a friend. Like I pulled out <laughs> every single card or offer I had, like anything. Everybody yep. was like, just give it to me. Like you just don't want to spend as much as possible um, until you have the money to burn. But that's what we did. The splash page was super important. As you were creating those organic posts on Instagram, did you do anything to drive people to these new pages, like emailing your list or just letting people know, hey, I'm starting this thing? Yes. So that was the core part, right? Is I already had a list of like my friends and my family. Mm -hmm. Um, Prior to, I didn't speak to it. But one of the things that we did before we actually put the set, we did surveys. So we surveyed Uh, people at Chandon and Mums and all these other wineries. And we obviously collected their information as well. Oh. Right. So it's always, it's always about collecting a data point. Yes. Uh, See, that, that's a critical piece to mention. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you talked about that. Yeah. And even your vendors can be customers. So like mm. every single person you talk to, you think about, you put them on that email list. You obviously yes. get the permission, mm-hmm. but you put them on the email list. And so we had a collection of people that we've already started talking about the SIP with that surveyed the SIP that had some touch or some information. So once we started the countdown, we emailed all those people to join the list again. Um, Mm -hmm. And then once we got the list and we launched, we emailed all those people again to say we launched. We launched on website. We went live on Instagram. Yes. uh, And we made it a celebration. And then we did something called a friends and family round. Uh And so we allowed our friends and families to purchase our first boxes first. Mm-hmm. And that gave us the revenue to purchase more inventory for other ah. people. So it's all about like making smart money moves and let stretching your money, but still not messing with the quality of the product, yes, right? Yes. Doing what you can to keep the quality. 
and utilizing who you know every single or if you don't know people I love that you went and you took surveys like at wineries now were they trying to kick you out were they like <laughs> come on in ladies and have have this <laughs> I got this survey on <laughs> It's okay. We're welcome back again. You got to be scrappy. Listen, speaking of family and friends rounds, are you venture backed? And if so, how did you decide to take on investors? We are ventured back. Um, When we first started it, the goal was to do bootstrap. Yep. I had just seen, I'd been at a venture back company and I seen how funds were divvied out or how they were used or what the expectation was. And I just honestly wasn't ready to burn a lot of cash. And so that's the one thing I will tell people when you take that cash, you're not sitting on it. You need to burn mm-hmm. it. That's what they yeah. expect. And the, the, the whole goal of venture backed is hyper growth. Mm-hmm. You cannot do hyper growth without burning a ton of cash, right? On marketing and other things and people to, to fuel that company so it can go fast. And so mm-hmm. I didn't quite know how we were going to get all of our customers. Yeah. I didn't quite know like what our growth trajectory was going to be. So mm-hmm. I started having conversations with the investors of Base Ventures, which is one of which is our, our a lead venture, our lead investor. Okay, um, obsessed with them, I will say. Mm-hmm. They're two black men from um, from the Bay Area and the okay. back here. And the conversations was really just around like, what should we do? Like, what's the difference of just bootstrapping in like this? So, so for me, it was more of a networking opportunity versus like mm-hmm. an actual like trying to get their money. Mm-hmm. And I think it was March of 2020 when um, Kirby, who's like one of the the partners there, was like, "So when are you going to pitch us?" And I was <laughs> like, "Oh yeah." I mean, and it's so nice to be asked to pitch versus like a cold call trying to pitch. Right. And so Catherine and I like stumbled around for two weeks trying to put together a pitch deck. Like, oh my God, if I show you the first pitch deck, it's awful. <laughs> but the core thing is we had a plan for growth, yes. right? And still to this day, like 60% of our business is B2B. And that's honestly the first pitch that we talked about. And a lot of people don't realize that like B2B. I didn't know are- that. Yeah. So a big portion of our business is business to business. Um, what kind of businesses? So we work with any business. So we do bulk mm-hmm. gifting. So think about when you work for corporations or you get a little, you get a raise or a promotion, like this is like that small moment or you do a small win, you get a small bottle of champagne yeah. um, or holiday gifting, virtual holiday Got parties it. were so big in 2020. Yeah. Um, That's so, so true. It's about figuring out how to like move with the economy mm-hmm. and grow with it also. So. I'm glad you talked about burning through cash because when we talked about how expensive this industry is, so I'm thinking about, you know, the numbers in my head of like putting, even though they're mini bottles, like putting together Mm -hmm. high-end champagnes and sparkling wines and boxes, shipping, protecting them with the right things inside of the boxes. So what kind of investment did it even take to start this business? Like how much Uh, did you have to put in for suppliers and all of that? Yeah, so Catherine and I put a small portion of business. I think we divided based off of our um, our ownership, but but in yeah. total, I think we invested around initially around twenty grand, so not that mm-hmm. much. Yeah, and then everything else was done based off of sales. So okay. we didn't purchase anything or do anything unless we had the money in the cash, and we didn't uh, pay ourselves though. Okay, until. May. So I, I will also tell people this. My husband and I had a conversation. I said, this is what I want to do. Uh-huh. 
I put in my savings account. I had enough savings to pay every single bill, not change my lifestyle, do what I can um, for seven months. And Uh after the seventh month, if I couldn't pay myself, I would go look for a job. Like that was the, that was the goal. And so I actually started paying myself month six. Um, are you okay sharing like what you pay yourself? Like, is it like just like a minimum still though, but like enough to cover the bills, like 5,000, 3,000. <laughs> it's, it's enough to pay. I pay myself. I don't pay myself what I've made in corporate America. Of course. Of course. That's why I'm always like, I'm Half curious. Yes. Um, but it's, you know, it pays off like each year I get to pay myself like 10 grand more, which is mm-hmm. nice, right? Yeah. But for us, it's more about the the ultimate investment. So yes. we don't, we take enough salary. We live in California. So right. we definitely are here to pay mortgages and car notes and school and all those things. So it's enough to, to get us home, but we're not like buying yachts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <laughs> said, that said, so um, in the, the Forbes article I was reading about you, it said that, you know, you were able to acquire over 16,000 customers and achieve year-end revenues of $1.3 million in 2021 alone, right? So mm-hmm. talk to us about that. That seems like rapid growth to me. That seems like hyper growth to me. How did you manage that? Did you start hiring more people? How did you guys do this? I think for us in 2021, I think 2020 gave us, I think we did about 400,000 in 2020 or a little under 400,000 yep. in 2020. And we started seeing all the trends of where we were doing really well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started analyzing the business and looking really at B2B and saying like, okay, business yeah. to business is really like hyper growth for us right now. Okay. Pandemic's not going anywhere. People still need to connect. These right. are all the conversations that we've had. We surveyed people and we had a ton of conversations and like overarching, it was about mm-hmm. connection. Like how mm-hmm. do we still allow people to stay connected in 2021 and beyond that, that right. like won't go away after the pandemic goes away, right? And so that's when we really started talking up our curated boxes. So outside of the subscription, it's also like gifting all year round. We started talking okay. more to businesses about gifting and how they can incorporate this outside after the pandemic is gone. So it's also always thinking like, what are the temporary things that you are solving problems for? And what are those things that pe- that are going to resonate still after, right? Because you don't want to be a business that's just solely hyper growth during a time where people can't connect. Like, what can you do after mm-hmm. that? Because this is temporary, right? And so right. we made a ton of partnerships. And I think a lot of things happening, a lot of people taking the pledge to work with Black-owned businesses also was a benefit for us. But thinking about those core solutions and then making sure that that's where you maximize your time. Because you can solve a ton of problems, but what's really going to give you scale and hyper growth? And that's what we focused on. Um, so we really focus on our subscription, our curated gifting, and our B2B business. And I also understand, so you also had to really shift how you approach networking, reaching out to people, Introducing mm-hmm. people to your brand. So you initially what you thought you would do like more festivals and then had to pivot to online. So how do you replicate the experience of going to a festival, being on hand in the online we format? Crazy <laughs> creative, but it was so much fun. We were bored in the house too. So <laughs> yes. one of the things is like, yes, we did a ton of festivals and we thought we were gonna get hyper growth by festivals, and we still will. We'll go yeah. back to festivals because it is still a great way to connect. Um, and we've already started doing it last year. We yeah. started going back to festivals. 
Um, but we started doing like many like little pop-up um, events. And so we would curate a box with a mixologist. We curated a box with a chef. We curated a box with a DJ. And then we'd sell tickets nice. and people would purchase it. And you remember like everybody was on Instagram doing DJ live. We had a girl DJ who was amazing. Yes. Um, people bought the box. We played games. We had bingo. We keep it lit on Zoom for everybody. And uh-huh. so we still do those. And then we did something called Thirsty Thursdays. And so we still <laughs> try to do those. So yep. on Thursdays, Catherine and I would get together. We drink the last subscription box. We drink it throughout the things. We talk about <laughs> Real Housewives of Potomac, Atlanta, yes, um, yes. whatever it was. And people would honestly kind of skip sometimes. They'd come in 15 minutes in so they could <laughs> hear us talk about Potomac or right. Atlanta or whatever we were watching. Yes. Uh, and it just became a girls' night. So we did what we would normally do, and we just let people come with us. Oh, and so that type of it. connection really resonated with our customers so mm-hmm. we kept Listen, it lit i'm here Instagram. for a real housewives <laughs> of potomac debrief anytime all right <laughs> so thank you for letting me i will be heading over to your ig for that um so before we get into the lightning round i want to know why was it so important for you to structure in also the giving back piece of your business and you know how did you structure it I think that as a community or just as people, it's it's your job to give mm-hmm. back. Yeah. I feel like I was raised in Oakland, so Catherine and I, and I got so much culture, so much from being from Oakland. If we were successful, we wanted to see Oakland be successful too. Yes. And yes. so um, for us, it wasn't even a thought process. And I think as being also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, like that is ingrained in you to honestly yes. want to give back. Right. It's our core. It's one of our core um, pillars. And so for us, it was really important to find a foundation that we felt like we could make an impact for. And so East Oakland Community Project is a really great program that's all about equity of life and not equal. Mm. So they give you what you need. And if that means taking you from homelessness to home ownership, which is very in line with like what we want to do with the SIP also thinking about you and your individual self. Um, And so for us, it was just it was a no brainer. Like we win, we all win. Um, and I think that that's core. And I think that that's, I mean, I'm a Christian, so I just feel like you want to give. And so Mm -hmm. why not was kind of the thought process there. And then in terms of this business being founded by you and your best friend, how do you guys manage that so that you still nurture and protect your personal relationship while also Mm -hmm. dealing with the stresses of your business relationship? It ain't easy. It ain't easy. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I think Catherine, I've known Catherine since I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just feel like we had such a good bond. Like she's much more like my sister. Now she is my friend. Right. And with sisters, you fight. I think in the beginning, (laughs) it was hard for us to find those boundaries. And there's still times where it trickles in and impacts the relationships. But I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like we wouldn't change it because I love her. She loves me. It, it's more about like, I want you to win. I don't ever have to worry about that, which makes yeah. it better. Mm-hmm. But I think also the benefit is we stay in our, our lanes. So that is mm-hmm. why we're on the split side of the business. I'm everything before purchase. She is everything after purchase. She is Got the yin, I'm the yang. Like yep. We, yep. we don't run the same course. And I think right. that's, what helps it and allows it to to succeed honestly 
I'm glad you mentioned that because business partnership is similar to marriage, business co-founding similar to marriage. And it's like, you really, <laughs> you, it, it's so, it's so much that goes into preserving and protecting that and yeah. having it not seep in, right? You just want to have girl talk sometimes and not yeah. be like, Oh, I just had this idea about the business. Right. So yeah. I'm always curious how people do that. Oh, we still talk about the business. It's so funny. So Catherine just had a baby. <laughs> yeah. So she's on maternity leave. And so I'm asking about the baby. And I'm like, girl, this box came in, blah, blah, blah. And she's asking. I'm like, okay, but wait, back, back, to, back to the baby. Back to yeah. the baby. So what would you say is just the hardest part of all this? Um, people, I'm sure, think that this is all fun and champagne, right? Mm -hmm. Sparkles every day. But I know that being a CEO is hard. I know that mm -hmm. it can be stressful. Um, mm -hmm. So what would you say is the most challenging part and how are you navigating that? Yeah, I think for me, this year has been the toughest. The economy has changed. I think the way that we, you do business and the growth and just figuring out like how to still maintain and scale. Mm -hmm. But for me as a CEO, I think the hardest thing is like, understanding that like you control people's livelihoods and i take that very seriously yeah and so when it comes to the business being successful to me that also equals my employees being successful and being happy and in a state where they can still take vacations and do what they want to do and i just don't want to impact their lives in a negative way Got um it. also understanding that you culturally you make the biggest impact and when you're in the room that was the biggest thing for me. That was the hardest to realize that like a statement for me hits different than a statement from anyone else. So mm -hmm. whether I thought it was a big deal or not, they're always going to think in their head, this is the CEO of this company. Like it's going to make a bigger impact. So being mindful of like your tone mm -hmm. and being mindful of your words and how you use them and who you use them to. Yeah. Um, Cause I can be a very blunt person. So having to think about that all the time <laughs> is a very big challenge for me because I'm just like, what? This is what you need to do. Like, I'm not right. even thinking, you know? Right. And so those are the, the challenging things for me. It's more of like the people part, the product mm. and all that stuff. It's fine. It's yeah. like really making sure that I'm not a horrible leader. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a learning curve. Um, and something you mentioned really stood out to me. This, Of course, the economy is in a different place now. And also when that happens, like people's priorities shift, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you continue to let people know the importance of your product and your brand in a time mm -hmm. when people might be shifting things into categories of like necessity versus pleasure? I think for us, it's all around the conversation around you still have to celebrate life, right? You yes. can't give up everything. Yes. yes. Um, you can't give up the joy. You can't give up the joy. And I think one of the biggest things that I make, I joke about this all the time, is that like we started the business in alcohol because we thought it was recession proof. We didn't realize <laughs> it also had pandemic proof. Yeah. And so one of the things is that no matter what, people still need that little bit of joy. People still have birthdays and anniversaries um, and promotions and all these happy moments still happen mm -hmm. during these like hard times. Yes. And we can still make it that much better for you. Um, and I think also the fact that we give back 
people still allow. So understand like when they do spend their money right. on something to enjoy for themselves, someone else is getting something for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just constantly having those conversations. And if you think about these times and us being B2B business also like these employers have to still make an impact on their employees. And so getting something from us to give mm-hmm. to them just works full circle. Right. Uh, and so we, we help celebrate the small wins and the big wins with businesses also. So I think, just being mindful and thinking about your business and how you can still solve problems and still create mm-hmm. happy moments for people in dark yes. times, I think yes. it has been to our benefit. Oh, yeah. Feeling valued is, I remember, was always just something that I struggled with in some of my roles. And it's always something yeah. that I, I think about now as I, I shift into this leadership frame of mind and just figuring out how to do that myself. So now we're going to shift into the lightning round. This is our party round. Too bad we don't have a, you know, a sit box with us. (laughs) So (laughs) you just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. You're going to share some tips and resources. All right. And what's been working for you. So are you ready? I guess. All right. Okay. Number one, uh, what's the first resource that comes to mind when you think about something that helps you a ton in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? I, I'm a big fan of For Dummies. So all okay. the books for dummies. Yep. Like my first book I read was Champagne for Dummies. Ooh, I need to read more of those books. Number two, um, who is a Black woman entrepreneur who you admire would want like to switch places with for a week or a day and why? I think Morgan Devon of Blavity. Because she has so many different type of businesses too. Like she mm-hmm. has Blavity, but she also has like her skincare and yes. she's constantly like iterating. Mm-hmm. And that's how my brain works. Um, we've chatted a couple of times, but like, I think I, I want to sit in her chair for like a week. All right. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your day? Um, Coffee. Time. <laughs> By, myself. <Got> it. <laughs> By myself. By <laughs> myself. Key key part okay number four what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in business i'm a lister mm-hmm. i do to-do lists every single day i cross them off i roll them over to the next day yes. so i don't miss anything and finally what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but may be afraid of losing a steady paycheck if you don't believe in you nobody else will so figure out how you can make it happen but like ultimately you can always go back to corporate America. Can't yes. always chase your dreams. So Yes. All right, guys. And before we leave, let us know where people can connect with you and the SIP online on social media. We are at www, right? <laughs> you can also find us on Instagram as the official SIP Society. Okay. Um, on Instagram, on Facebook. We're on TikTok also, but thesip.com is the best place to locate us. All right. This was a truly fun episode. I'm so excited to try the SIP. And with that, there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash 
newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.